The Hotnirds Bog is a subscription and advert free podcast. Please help us keep it that way by either donating or purchasing products from our store. Or alternatively, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just follow the link in the description below. Thank you and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the hut near the bog. Aidan Hart is the man behind the now famous or perhaps notorious Puka of Ennis Tymon. In this episode, we sit down to discuss the furore around the Puka. Before that, however, we hear about his work as a sculptor and his fascination with Irish folklore. Aidan, thanks a million for coming on the hut near the bog. Can you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, my name's Aidan Hart and I'm a sculptor. Um, I, I live and work in Dublin. I've been at it um, sculpting for uh, about 10 years or more. Um, I studied in uh, the Florence Academy of Art. And before that, I was uh, an animator in Kilkenny um, in the Studio Cartoon Saloon. And... That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I also um, I write. I am also a, a published writer. So, um, but uh, I guess uh, the occasion for me coming on here is the furor around around uh, my most recent sculpture, my first public sculpture, the Puka Venice Diamond. I suppose, yeah. So we'll get into the the, the discussion around the Puka Venice Diamond. But I'm kind of interested in exploring sculpting. First, if that's okay with you, yeah. No and I also, I'm interested in exploring your interest in Irish folklore and how that, how that, how that features in your work. So, mm. I mean, what is like? I suppose to start with, like, how does sculpting differ from other forms of art? In, um, well, I mean, the, it, it's it's related. I mean, clearly, it's related. I mean, if you're the the fundamental of all of all art, whether you're doing sculpture. Uh, fine art paintings, murals, animation, whatever. It's it's all about drawing. So um, that's the the fundamental skill. It's the ability to recreate what you see, um, and you know put an interpretation on it. Um, so they all have that in combination in um, in common. And then uh, sculpture is well, it's one of the oldest arts. I mean, you can go to um, the the Historic Museum in Vienna and see the Venus there. It's this prehistoric um, kind of earth mother character about, you know, not 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 more than a foot high, but um, it's this little uh, buxom stone carved um, uh, model. And so like from the, the very earliest uh, days of um, civilization and before that, people were carving things, probably wood to begin with, but obviously that hasn't survived as well as the stone. Um, what I do is, is bronze. So that's a... a you know, I make it in clay and then we make a mold and then we cast it. And um, what's what's appealing for, for me with, with sculpture is that it's, it's at once very simple and, you know, incredibly complex because it's, the simplicity comes from the fact that you can't really do um, elaborate storytelling or um, multi-figure pieces. I mean, there are multi-figure pieces, for instance, the... The Lacoe and the, um, the Hellenic sculpture, 
of um, uh, based on a story from the Trojan War. But they're few and far between. I mean, it's a lovely sculpture, but more typically would be your standing figure, one 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 man, one woman, or something like David or um, uh, a Venus. Um, and so uh, it's 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 kind of got a, sim- a simplicity and pu- a purity that appeals to me. Um, and it also is, I mean, it's kind of the most, uh, it seems a very um, human art because uh, typically you're representing uh, a figure and the viewer um, looking at it, they have a, it, it takes up, it takes up space in the same way um, the viewer takes up space. So um, it's not just an intellectual relationship you might have with, you know, a, a painting or a miniature or something. A sculpture is invading your territory, as it were. It's 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 something with physical physicality and presence. Um, and then the type of sculpture I would do is it's um, figurative sculpture. Um, so that's that's the the type of um, classical sculpture that I, I studied in Florence. And to do that, we we studied anatomy. And uh, we studied drawing very carefully. We did écorché, which is um, the French word for flayed. So we would have built um, a little model of the skeleton. And then onto that skeleton, we would have put, you know, the deep musculature. And then onto that, the superficial muscles. And in that way, you're, get, you're getting a, um, you know, a very deep understanding of anatomy, which is kind of, it's, it's very helpful if you're trying to do figurative sculpture because it's, it's, um, it's tricky. Um, uh, you, you want it to be very convincing, and like even even if you're not that interested in art or design, you certainly know what looks like a, a human being or not. I mean, you, that's that's that, that's something we're all expert on. We can tell if a, a face is slightly off, or if um, an arm is too long, or a leg is too short. So it's um, it's very it's very. Um, it's a it's a difficult thing to do well, and so th- th- that's kind of challenging um, and uh, satisfying when you you pull it off. Of course, the kind of sculpture I make is um, it's I suppose on the more fantastical uh, uh, side of things. I, I I tend to be drawn towards um, mythological subjects because maybe that 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 uh, I don't know appeals to the the storyteller in me, but. Um, so I've, I've done things like um, my first collection, for instance, after I came back from uh, Italy was uh, based on Dante's Inferno and uh, which is, a, a, you know, a very fantastical um, epic poem. But the characters I was um, drawn to create were the, the people that, you know, Dante and Virgil encountered, the, the, the Minotaur, the Senator, the Harpies. And they're all what, what, what they have in uh, common is um, that they're, Half human, half man. Hmm. Is, do you think there's um, a sort of? Uh, I, I this is complete. This question is coming from complete naivety, so forgive my ignorance. But obviously, it's a highly complex and uh, uh, skilled art. But is there something more primal about sculpture in the sense that I mean, we from the from earliest times and even from our earliest experiences, we're always doing something with our hands or shaping playing with mud or something like that, that there's a real, that there's a, something that's kind of uh, brings you into closer proximity with. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I would say so. I mean, I, 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 I would say so, but then I probably am, I'm quite biased, but I do think that um, it's probably like, I, it's, it's almost certainly something people have been doing for 
as long as um, they've been walking upright and before before even then. Um, because it's we, we know this from like uh, the artifacts we we found, but also um, and the the cave paintings they they seem to have this this uh, these these figures that are these half man half uh, half animal things. They're called Taranta Taranta Hope in um, by the anthropologist or whatever, which just means you know half man or kind of shapeshifter or something like that. So in like the the famous French um, cave cave uh, with the paintings the Les Trois Frères uh, cave that has this um, figure called the sorcerer and he's a he's a half man half elk kind of creature he's kind of crouched over he seems to have a furry pelt but he has the horns of a, an elk um, so that's I, that, that would I say that's very primal I think I think when man became conscious one of the first things they became conscious about is this is purely speculative, so you know, treat as such. But they became conscious of their mortality, but they also became conscious of the fact that they were like the animals, but yet somehow different. And that's something we struggle with today. I mean, we're a, we're we're animals that can write string quartets and put satellites around the earth, but we still, um, you know, sometimes the red mist descends and. We, we find ourselves taken over and we still talk like that. We say a, a man is a bull or, you know, a headstrong man is a bull or a weakling is a mouse. I mean, it's it's a kind of a duality that's in us all that uh, uh, this kind of art, yes. I think, expresses very well. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, I would say sculpture is kind of um, primal. I mean, it, Michael, it, 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 there's, there's an urge to create in all of us, um, uh, you know, to... Um, have children or whatever i mean michelangelo said um because he didn't have children he said i have no um i have no children but i have my my sculptures and they harry me continuously so it's it's that urge to create something that uh, takes up space and has a personality and i mean it, it sounds it sounds silly but like when i know a sculpture is done it's um uh, like i work on it for whatever months and there's a there's a stage where you're just building up clay on an armature, so you're just packing packing it on, and then you're trying to um, uh, make it look some, something like what you have. You might have done preparatory drawings or something like that, and then there comes a stage when there's a personality in the room other than yourself, um, and it's sort of uh, it, it has its own charisma or its own uh, presence, its own uh, menace or uh, like humor, whatever, and that's when that's when that that's the stage that usually I I try, I walk away from the sculpture because then it starts, it's it's become something, and then that, like that that's th- those are the most powerful mm. sculptures I think they they seem to they seem to have um a presence of their own. I mean this the the famous um Greek uh, uh, myth of um uh, Pygmalion, the the sculptor who falls in love with his own um. With its own sculpture, and uh, I think the she she comes alive, and he fall, he um they get hap, hap, happy happily married ever after. But um that 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 conveys something that I think was obvious to the Greeks and the Romans and stuff that a uh, um, great statuary has has a personality, has a has an essence, something of life. Although obviously it's an illusion, but um it's a powerful one. Mm. 
Well, it mightn't be an illusion. It depends on what viewpoints are in terms of like if you if you get into the Irish folklore and the idea of the kind of connection between tin veils of worlds and spirits inhabiting things, then uh, depending on your perspective, it might not be an illusion. But it's very interesting nonetheless. And I think about music and I think about um, writing even. And I think like you have to learn a whole... Obviously, I, I'm, not, I'm not for one second... Don't doubt that it's a really complex. You have to learn the anatomy of the body, and you have to learn so much to become to, to get to the, to the level that you're at. But at that most primal level, I can pick up something, I can sculpt. But like in order to write, I need to learn how to write. In order to make make music, I need to learn how to to well, maybe music it might be. But anyway, that's that's just some thoughts that come are coming to my head. So I just find it's like something that connects you. It must be mm. something that connects you at that most primal level. Uh, and again, it's not to get too philosophical, but like that kind of fundamental nature of being and whatever being is. But surely that's something that connects you to it. If it's if any of the arts connect you, surely sculpting would because of that connection with it. Well, I, I, I vacillate myself on that subject. Sometimes I'm very matter of fact and it's a, a thing I'm creating. And then other times um, I think there's a sort of um, spooky presence in, in the room with me and uh you know, it, it depends, I guess, what what hour of night it is and how um what, what I'm feeling like. But I mean, uh, like writers like Stephen King, for example, he he often talks about um that there's a kind of ideal platonic form of the book, and you it's as you're rewriting it, you're basically trying to get to that pre-existing state, um, and your editing is not. It seems to be you creating something, but actually you're creating something that exists. And I mean, that's just a way of looking at it. And then it might not be the, it might not be the case. Probably isn't, but um, it does seem to be seem to be the case sometimes. And it's um, it's a it's a it's an odd it's an odd kind of no, just it's an odd um, it's a it's an intellectual process, but it's also uh, an emotional process. I'd say I would say sculpting, and much like any other art form. That's for that's a very interesting uh, use of Plato's uh, uh, <laughs> philosophy there to kind of propelling oneself to that ideal form which exists in a a different uh, a different plane of rea- or or in true reality one would say but no very interesting and you know the thing about it is now is uh, we could get really philosophical and I don't want to do that because it's uh, it's 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 gonna it's going to uh, it'll go down all kinds of rabbit holes mm. but I think we'll we'll move back into uh, the kind of the, the structure of the, of the, of the questions, but um, I see that you've you've been um, that you're well known among in in, in artist circles, and uh, for example, Daryl O'Brien recently was tweeting support of you, so just proves that you've you've been you've been around a while. But this has really propelled you to to to, to, to into the national consciousness, and I think. Um, you know the the idea of why why Irish folklore? What is, has that always been something of an interest, or has it been something you've just recently come into in terms of a, as a, something as a focus for your your work? No, in fairness, it would be a lifelong interest. Um, I mean, you'd, you'd encounter them when you're um, a school kid growing up in Ireland. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's still the case, but we certainly um, learned. Uh, about Cucullin and Cucullin and Fionn McCool and stuff. Now that's mythology and folklore, as you know, it's kind of the disreputable cousin of mythology. Like mythology is August and Olympian and um, kind of um, beautifully metaphorical, but folklore is 
just sell yarns, you tell around the fire. And so it's it's kind of it's kind of um it's a it's a it's a nice and human form form of uh, of uh, myth. Um, so it's it's interesting. I I I, I, I kind of compare it to um, traditional Irish music, which has um, uh, kind of um, uh, standard forms, re- re- reels, jigs, etc. But um, within that, you get you get uh, variation, and you get um, artists like channelless artists who put their own stamp on it. And I think storytelling works like that because you know, with with folklore, you're going to find, for example, the same, more or less, the same story about the Pook or the Banshee in, say, Kildare or County Cork. And the only difference really is the place names that have been put on it or the kind of um, uh, the gloss that the, the writer might be might be putting onto it. And I, I think that's it's, it's, it's a nice thing and it, um, it, it connects people to their to their locale. Um, and it also particularly like much like music, Irish music, it's it reflects something of the particular genius of the Irish people, their um, their sense of humor, their sense of whimsy, their um, sense of uh, sort of um, their, the black humor of the, the of 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 the average Irishman. I mean that that's that's comes comes out in the best folklore, I think. Mm. No, it's very interesting, and and the again this furore is is around the the puka and Ennis timing. Mm. So I wonder for the the benefit of. People who don't know what a puka is, would you mind explaining? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people don't know. A surpri- surprising amount of people don't know um, what a puka is. And one of the, however, however, this particular controversy pans out. One of the nice things about it is um, that uh, a character, like a character who is one of the iconic characters of Irish folklore, like the banshee, like the the leprechaun, or um, the far darig. Is it, that has been kind of relatively forgotten? Now he's he's back with a bang, and I think that's kind of nice because he is he is a big um, he he is a big part of the the tradition. And if you look at the nineteenth century um, stuff, I mean, with, with folklore, as you know, um, it's it begins as a kind of um, uh, an oral tradition, and then it gets. It gets sort of recorded in the, or be, be, began to be um, collected and recorded in the early nineteenth century and before then, and you see you see comparable things happening all around Europe. So the the brothers Grimm are doing the same in um, in uh, in Germany, and other people in Scandinavia are doing the same thing, and uh, Italians are as well. And so, um, like for instance, there's a chap called uh, T. Crofton Croker, and uh, he'd be he'd be before Douglas Hyde and um, William Butler Yeats. And I have open in front of me here just a, a one-page description of the puka. Um, so this is from, yeah, 1825. Um, I'll just read it out if I could. Um, it's, it's difficult to obtain any correct, correct notions of this spirit. There is something indefinite and obscure about it. He's talking about the puka. People recollect it imperfectly, like a dream, even though they have experienced the strongest sensations. Yet the puka is palpable to the touch. It appears as a black horse, an eagle, a bat, and compels the man with whom it has got possession and who is incapable of making any resistance to go through various adventures in a short time. It hurries with him over precipices, carries him up into the moon and down to the bottom of the sea. If a building falls in, it is imputed to the puka. 
There are numerous precipices and rocky caverns called puka caves. That's full of puka. Um, even a waterfall formed by the Liffey. In the county of Wicklow, um, he has derived uh, this, this waterfall has derived its name from the spirit. The people prohibit their children from eating blackberries after Michaelmas. I guess that's um, sound kind of, um, after harvest. And ascribe the decay of that fruit, which takes place after that season, to the puka. So that's just a, a one uh, a one page thing in this um, Croker collection, and then you find later on there's more stories from uh, William Butler Yeats, from Douglas Hyde, from Lady Wilde, Oscar Wilde's mother, and um, they they kind of put flesh on that bone because um, the early on the the earlier traditions he's kind of like Pan or this kind of nature spirit, so he's just I don't know what would you call him, sort of a a kind of animist figure who's um you know he's a, he's quite an ambiguous figure he's he seems to be um a bit of a troublemaker kind of like a i don't know um like a hermes or something like that but then um later on he becomes he, he's you see you see he's um he's kind of uh, uh fleshed out by in the later story so um and then again like in the 20th century people like flan o'brien would have um would have done their own versions of it. So essentially he's a shapeshifter and he appears in various different guises, but the horse would, would be one of his, um, class, like, uh, his favorite, um, forms to take. And the, the idea that he takes people and takes them on trips is characteristic of him. So in, in many of the stories he would find a, you know, bump into a fellow who's coming home from the pub, maybe by a graveyard or something like that. And he encounters a puka and, they enter into conversation and it's kind of, um, uh, it depends how that conversation goes, whether the, the, the fellow makes his fortune or he's never heard of again. Um, and one of the things in some of the traditions is that if you have a pair of spurs on you, um, you can tame the puka. And that goes back to this old idea that um, uh, the fairies can stand, the, the one thing they can't stand is iron. So like there's an old Pishog about carrying a, a, an iron nail on your person and you'll, you'll never um, fall into a fairy ring or anything like that. Very interesting. And um, we, we have a puka, we have a puka around my part of the world as well. And the, the, and, um, but it, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, character of folklore. Uh, I, I think anyway, I, I, funny enough, and maybe it's a bit of a, a tangent, but my uncle, um, he's gone now, God bless, God rest his soul. But, there's there Lacking Castle is the name of the castle where the Puka hmm. is associated with in our in our in our locality. And uh, there's a in the old days there used to be a cinema in the in one of there's three villages in the parish. One is Laura, the other is Rackhaven, and the third is Redwood. And in Laura there was a a, a cinema. And he always told the story that he was coming home from the cinema, they used to cycle over to the cinema, so you'd have to pass Lacking Castle. Hmm. And are in that locality, and he was coming home one evening, and late, late at night, and he said, he looked on, he looked on top of a gate, and there was like this massive black creature sitting on top of the gate, and he said he didn't know whether it was real or not, but he said he cycled, uh, like he, he, he like he, like there was no tomorrow up the really? back home, and he said it was one of the things that frightened the life out of him. Now whether <laughs> that's true or not, I don't know, but it, it's a good, it's a good yarn either way, and then of course. He, I, it's funny he never referred to the puka, but uh, of course the, the 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 that's what the association is within within that area. So that's why I suppose it goes back to that kind of thing of 
those like I don't know whether there is or there isn't or whatever it's kind of the thing I I've come across uh, in my kind of philosophical endeavors is is that there's this un- great unknowing and we, we don't really know either way so let's not rule it out and I suppose that's the best thing about folklore and mythology is that maybe there is some truth to it maybe there isn't we don't know we we can be somewhat agnostic or perhaps we can have yeah, faith in it and, and in fairness I mean uh, uh, enough if enough people believe something or have a tradition um it creates its own reality for sure it does i mean uh, it's there's there's every 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 generation has its uh, has its truths and its um unquestioned beliefs and uh, like they 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 affect us all you know you can't escape it so um if like probably probably your uncle like when he was a kid and my father had a similar encounter believe it or not with the banshee like when he was a very young kid and you might just say you know it was a dark night and he was a he was a he was a bit he was up too late or something like that but uh it's funny how you know i mean there's there's not so many um, moving statues nowadays in ireland but um there's still plenty of people seeing ufos so i mean it's it's what it's what's in your culture does affect your reality it's how you interpret it isn't it it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the the whole structure by which we interpret our experiences so therefore even if it it may or may not have been something that was malice malicious or something supernatural but the 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 the, the way it's structured is the the culture in which you exist so that's the way you interpret that that thing so you're referring to ufos or referring to i mean the banshee or the puka i i you know it, it, that's that's how you're going to interpret that at the experiential level mm. um I, i'm interested in knowing how um i'm interested in knowing how did how did how did the how did the, the puka of ennis time come about uh, how did you how did you end up uh, secure, winning that contract, I suppose is that the word, or being awarded that contract? Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, well, it's to, a public tender, to, um, to, or a commission, I should say. Uh, no, it's 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 one of the same. I mean, basically, uh, it would be a public tender sculpture, so um, it would have been uh, like all like all public tenders would be advertised, and then sculptors like myself can do a proposal, and there'd, there'd be a brief describing what they want. There'd be a budget. There'd be a rough schedule. And you kind of have to meet all of those things and demonstrate some kind of um, capacity with uh, previous work. And it's difficult because obviously like someone who's done um, public art before or many, many public commissions before will have an advantage over those that haven't like myself. But um, I'd I'd have been, I'd have been pitching for these now for the last couple of years. Um, Basically with my, with my sculpture, I, work with a gallery in Dublin called Sol Art Gallery and I I do I do um exhibitions every so often and I make a I make a, a body of you know several several bronzes and they'd be additions of uh, three or seven or nine and we we'd put them in and just try our luck. And it's kinda like you know it's kinda like farming. You 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 put your money in at the start and you see how you go. Like some some additions are some some sculptures are very popular and the edition sells out others and others of them just you know sit on the shelf gathering dust and you never really can tell what will work or not but it's you know it's interesting because you're uh, it's interesting and rewarding work because you're your own boss but with with sculpture bronze sculpture it's very expensive to cast 
And so if I want to work at a scale and the Puka of Venice Diamond is a two meter tall sculpture, um, if I wanted to cast that, like, you know, I'd go broke trying to, to cast that. So you're talking, it's that's going to be a public commission if it's going to be anything. And the, the Puka of Venice Diamond budget is uh, 30,000 and that would be, you know, that would be average and maybe on the bottom end of average because there's there's commissions that are 80,000 and and above that but again like competition for the the bigger ones would be that much more um that much more keen so this was a great great opportunity for me to um basically show what I could do and it was particularly nice because um they were looking for the the people um the county council were um trying to uh they're doing up um, the town of Ennis Diamond, which has ha- had it's in, it's in the middle of it's it's in Clare, it's um, not too far from the coast. So if you're driving to the Cliffs of Moor or something like that, you might go through it. But um, um, so mm. basically, this was a um, I, I met I made the proposal, and the the brief was to do something that was going to attract people to Ennis Diamond, and they wanted something that would be iconic. So um something that could go on postcards and people would be uh, uh, drawn to, to stop stop and take a photograph with it because Ennis Diamond has lots of nice restaurants and cafes and if you stop and take a photograph, you might stop and eat a meal there and go around the, the shops and the craft shops and, and uh, see, see, see what's on offer. And so that, that was the, the idea and uh, it was great because like many many public sculptures they'd be very um public sculpture tenders they'd be very um uh, uh carefully delineated so like for example the Roger Casement one in Dunleary um last year like that they literally asked for a statue of Roger Casement but with this one it was they were inviting artists to come up with their own idea like of what they thought would be good and i um the the brief mentioned that Ennis Diamond had uh, a horse fair and I knew from just, I'm, I've been interested in the puka for years. So I knew that there was um, plenty of stories from Claire about the puka. And then I, I thought that would be a nice a nice thing to do. And I um, made a bozetta, which is like a little, uh, a little version of the sculpture. And that would be like about 60 centimeters tall. And that was the one, like a photograph of that is what I proposed to um, the, the commissioner. So they really knew what they were getting. And what I what I did once I won the commission is essentially um, basically blue. I mean, I, I recreated that two meters uh, tall, which is you know it's 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 not straightforward because once you make something bigger, the all the, all your problems become magnified. The, the deep, you can you can do a little you can get away with lots of things in a sketch, but at, at, at on a big scale in a public sculpture, you really need to be sure it's going to work from every angle, and that's that's the that's kind of the beauty about sculpture. It's not, it's not, it's not like a picture where it looks nice from one angle. With with a sculpture, ideally, it should look good from whatever angle you're looking at it. Which is not to say that it doesn't have a dominant point of view. Like for example, Michelangelo's David looks best from the front. There's no doubt about it. But um, if you go around it, it's, it still looks interesting um, uh, from those other points of view. But um. That would be that would be the case with the the puka. He looks he looks uh, strongest from one point of view, but he looks um, interesting from um, pretty much every point of view. 
And how did how did they how did the how did it how did the Ferrari start then? What's the what's the story behind that? Uh, the the how did the, this the, how did how did we get to the point where they were they had they had put, they had suspended the, mm. the project, Clare County Council? Yeah, I mean, like, like, well, it's a little bit of a mystery to me because um, it's it's um, the county council were very good in that they um, they let me get on with the work. So basically, for the last uh, during the lockdown, the last lockdown, I was working away, happy as Larry, doing my doing the sculpture, and all I was thinking about was making it as as interesting as it could be and um you know that's as it should be and then in the background i guess um uh, something went awry basically because uh uh i don't know there seems to be like some kind of um i don't know issues between the the council and the the local people i know there was there was trouble with the um that that corner where it's supposed to go going back years like years before the this commission so i don't know i think those passions were high or something and then um uh, somebody got wind that they were making a puka and then people were asking what's a puka and then somebody did a i suppose a google search and if it, anytime you do a google search you're going to find you know it's like if you look up um i've got a rash on my hand so i'm looking up on google and it'll be like you've three months to live kind of job so I think it was a bit like that because some <laughs> of the descriptions of the, the Puka have uh, have that he's um, uh, an evil spirit, but that isn't the case really. He's he's not. He's definitely he's definitely no saint, but he's um, he, he's not like uh, always given bad luck because he gives good luck as much as as much as um, he gives bad luck. He's more like Pan, a nature spirit. So he's just a rowdy character, and he can. It depends what way he takes you, and so I think people thought. And then uh, the, 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 there was a petition done and the priest got involved and uh, he, he was saying that, well, I, I, basically I don't put words in his mouth, but it was reported in the paper that um, uh, himself and uh, the local senator and TD were saying it was um, you know, a sinister creation and a, a pagan idol and all this kind of crack. And... That, that was it. That was when it became... Basically, the county council told me, when was it, the start of the the last month, that um, this this petition had come in and that we'd, we'd have to pause it for a month while it was dealt with. And uh, that sounded fair enough because, you know, I mean, it was just a, an un, unforeseen thing. And then the, store, then the priest uh, had this, um, this sermon and then the Irish Independent had a story about it. And RT had a story about it, and this neither of these mentioned my name, but they had had the, a picture, like a an internal document of a mock-up of the the sculpture printed, and so this was a bit galling because um, you know it was my 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 work being talked about, and I wasn't mentioned, and my family and friends obviously knew that it was um, it was it was my work, and it was like it was if I don't know it, 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 I don't know the the report wasn't very. Um, it wasn't very clear about what was happening, so I, I said Take to the cat. Well, I don't know. I mean, I like it's it's kind of a funny story at some level. Uh, it's it's unusual in modern Ireland that it sounds like something out of the nineteen fifties. So I, oh, I yeah. went. I said to the council. What I mean, I suppose what it, what. I, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go on, sorry, go on, go on. Just so I, I clarify my my point there. Uh, the clickbait, I suppose, is not that the story itself is clickbait, but the way it's represented 
is that they didn't that the the, the the national broadcasters hadn't reached out to the artists, got their side of the story, and then it's it's also a story that's going to it's just something it's an intriguing story. So what I mean is they kind of probably got it out as quickly as possible or knew that it was something that was gonna spark interest and therefore it's clickbait in that sense, but not yeah. the, not the story itself, because I think the story it's the story itself is tells us something far it's it, it shines a light on um, things that are currently happening in Irish society. So not the story, not the actual story, but the initial story is what I mean. So just well, I mean, I, like I, it definitely does have a, a, a funny side to it because I mean the statue is he's an unusual looking fella. So he like you wouldn't you wouldn't see statues like it very often. This horse headed man dancing a jig, and uh, it just I mean I I could, I could see it from the point of view of journalists that it's. Um, too good to too good to resist, but um the the thing on RTE gave gave the wrong impression I think because like they had Eddie Lennon the folklorist from Clare and he was saying um, quite accurately that there is no um, uh, Ennis Diamond version of the Puka folktale, but and that is true, but like there's there's plenty around in neighboring neighboring towns in Clare, but no one in Ennis Diamond and that Eddie was just saying that as a matter of record, like um but um he he knows. He knows better than anyone that there's there's um there's uh, the pool of Fuca in the burn and um there's the lame on Puka Moor and the wedge tomb in Carafuca. So there's plenty of um uh, Puka Puka stories from Clare. But um the story the story was like it had just been dropped from, you know, Planet Mars onto this this unsuspecting town. But really like the the public tender was done in in the best, like it was, it was they, they followed best practice. The county council, and um, there was a, a rep, like a a committee formed, which would have, you know, your usual committee would have, um, the arts officer, local engineer, or the the engineer looking after it, um, uh, some kind of like a businessman or figure standing in the community, um, uh, an artist maybe from. Uh, outside th- those kind of things so it was done like in the same way pretty much any public public tender statue is done in contemporary ireland um no no different and actually a little bit better because you can even find the the um the site visit on youtube where um the engineer talks about what they're looking for and i mean it's 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 uh, well it was one of the one of the better ones you'll see because sometimes the site visits are very uninformative but um they had a good idea of what they they wanted. They wanted something that was going to attract people into the town. And whatever you whatever you say about the puka, it certainly attracted attention. Um, like uh, I, I, in the last month, it's 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 it was like uh, covered by you know the Sunday Times and the Irish edition of the Daily Mail, the Irish Independent did um, lots of stories about it. So it's uh, and then uh, there was the Euro News where they I think they described uh, the the puka as starting an ideological war which might be a bit um over the top but it's it's got like um it's captured people's attention there's a fella in Kilkenny who wrote a a kind of ballad a kind of protest song supporting the puka there's a, a histor a cultural historian i think she is in um the university of limerick doing a, a study on the phenomenon because this doesn't happen very often that people ordinary people are talking about folklore and uh, so she she's she's doing a study on it, and I mean when when it came up that it mightn't go up in Ennis Diamond, there was 
other towns from around Ireland. Like I got like offers from Kildare and Kerry and Dublin and Kilkenny. I mean, some of those were just, you know, people, um, people being gen or people being nice on Twitter, but there was serious offers too from, um, Epic Museum in, in Dublin and uh, the Hunt Museum in, um, Limerick. Um, but it's all, it's presumably like if it's presumably, and I hope it'll, it'll, it'll go ahead. Um, at the moment, uh, that one month delay has been, um, extended to a delay over the summer. We're going to revisit in autumn and, um, see what's, see what's what. Um, and I'm just, I'm just hoping that, I don't know, um, the, the people set against it, see that it isn't, um, there isn't anything sinister behind it. Um, and if like they, they look into the public tender process, they'll see that it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything wildly different than any other, any other public tender in, in Ireland. But, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes now. Hmm. Well, it's a, certainly it's a, a, a fascinating story. And I, I think it's, I, when I saw it first reported, I, I actually saw it on RTE and, I just I, when I first saw it, I said that's a, a beautiful structure. And some one way it was described was it's uh, it's grotesque. And yeah, I, I, like, thought, I, I uh, thought that the was first thought that came to my mind is when. Sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I I just. Oh yeah. So, but my view was like okay, it's I thought it was beautiful, but I thought there was a grotesqueness to it. But that's mm. exactly. Mm. It's that beauty is in that grotesque. That's exactly the whole point. And even if you think about it in terms of like, I, I, uh, the word uh, escapes me, but if we uh, think about the fairies in folklore as well, and fairies aren't necessarily evil spirits either. They're, they're, they actually, they're far more reflected of human beings. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or of humans that uh, we can, some, well, sometimes we can be in a bad mood. Sometimes we can be in a good mood. Sometimes we can be good. Sometimes we can be bad. And it's it's not black and white. That's what the puka and the fairies. That's what they show us. That there's a there is this kind of grotesqueness to uh, existence, and that that these figures reflect that. And I thought that when I saw when I saw that this this term of grotesqueness being used in a way that was to to almost beat the artist being yourself, I thought, well, actually, you've missed the whole point. In my yeah, view, I mean, like what the, that structure is about, surely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was used as a pejorative, which um, uh, struck me as funny because the first person to describe my work as grotesque was myself. I've been doing it for years, basically, because um, uh, it's um, it's uh, it's it's some, some of the like because I when I was studying in uh, Florence, I used to go to um, I in the mornings I used to go go jogging and I'd go across the, the river. So I would go um, uh, through the Plata or the, the Piazza della Signora, the main, the main place where the Uffizi is, where all the um, tourists gather during summer and where the, the replica of David's statue is and the, the old um, Palazzo there. But like in that, in that square, there is this tourist admiring artwork and the sculptures they're admiring, the subject matter of those, of those sculptures are, really um quite um uh, they're quite dark i mean there's there's uh, uh, hercules uh, clubbing a senator to death there's uh, per- uh perseus holding the head of medusa there's um then there's beside david there's donatello's statue of judith um beheading hosserfines the, the the general so like these are these are not um vanilla sculptures and it's it's not necessarily um 
it's not necessarily a good thing if if a statue is all sweetness and light. Like some of the some of the most powerful sculptures and artworks, they have they have that darkness. Um, and I mean, you know, in opera, Don Giovanni, and um, in literature, Moby Dick, they have this kind of quality of turbulent There's the, the Italian word uh, turbulata, which is um, what Michelangelo's sculpture was always described as having, and it's this kind of ferocious intensity. And if you look at a horse, um, like there's a reason a horse has been such a such a, a popular scu- subject for sculpture. It's because the horse is, it's got the power of a bull, but it's got this kind of um, unearthly grace as well that you don't find in any other animal. And so it's this kind of combination of delicacy and extreme, extreme kind of uh, savage power that you find in the the horses in the Elgin marbles, and um, that that's basically what I was looking at with with the puka, trying to capture some of that intensity. Um, so, um, it, but it's a double edged sword, then, because it's it's quite an intense uh, work of art. Um, so, so basically, I suppose I'm just thinking about this because it's it's brought some ideas to mind. So, of course, I mean that's what I like about Irish folklore. I like about the fairies. What I like about the puka is is that kind of something that's reflective of a darker nature, but also that not necessarily darker. That it can also be jovial and friendly, and uh, and can be positive as well. Hmm. But um, and and that's exactly why I thought when when I when I read the article and saw the statue, I said they just completely missed the point. But it, of course, what does it say about kind of it just kind of says something. I think it said something about the idea that we sell to like people in America, Irish Americans, that it's Ireland is the land of leprechauns and Guinness and, 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 and maybe like to some degree that like something like the puka, which is really pure Irish culture and something that is reflective of Irish culture uh, and our folklore. And it's the fact that it isn't this kind of, you know, uh, shamrocks and pints of Guinness and, yeah, pots of gold at the end of the rainbow and maybe people are fearful of that and the image that it sends out about their particular community but actually really what it does is it's more in line with the reality of existence of of being human and being being situated within a world and having to live and all the experiences that go along with that and it's also very uh enlightening and uh uh, illuminating that, that that's that's what i would say but you see where i'm coming from from that particular point of view that what it, it shine it maybe it shines a light on the fear in people's mind that they're fearful of not they're not falling into that kind of overly romanticized view of ireland but actually something that's more authentic and a more authentic experience of ireland surely does that yeah. make sense yeah no definitely it does i mean what i thought with the the whole furore was that it kind of um it brought to light this idea that we've kind of gentrified our our wild folklore. That um, we're both we're either we're, we're either completely um, dismissive of it, or ignorant of it, or we um, we have this kind of uh, ro- rosy tinted view of it. So it's it's not it's not a good place to be because it's a it's better than that. It's it's more interesting than that, and. Um, like that that's that's i think the one positive thing that came out of this that people people came across these stories that aren't uh, that aren't these twee kind of um, darby o'gill kind of stories they 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 found found out about the puka and yeah. it's got this 
this element of um, wit and menace and uh, um, devil may care kind of uh, whimsy that they, they wouldn't have necessarily come across before. Um, so th- th- I mean, th- there's there's a tradition in in with Irish sculpture. You have in, for example, the GPO. You have um, Oliver Shepherd's Cúchulainn statue, and that at the start, the foundation of the state, those all those legends. They were the the legend of Cúchulainn and the the Tonbo Cúla. They were very um, much in people's mind. I mean, probably the intelligentsia more so than the average person. But they they were they were working as as symbols should work, and that by that I mean they were they were they had contemporary re- resonance, and they were also kind of uh, r- rooted in the tradition. But then you know time passed and some people began to kind of uh, back away from that tradition. Um, and the last kind of gasp of it, I suppose, was Ushin Kelly, uh, the fella who did um, Jim Larkin on O'Connell Street again. So he did the, you know, the Mad Milkman, the the Chariots of Fire, the chap with the, um, the, the, the chariot, and he did the Children of Lear. And so he's doing, he's really um, uh, making excellent sculptures about, drawing from Irish mythology. But then after that, you know, it's a blank. There's pe- people um, uh, People would rather set fire to themselves than do a story from Irish folklore. And it's, it's this kind of cultural cringe. I think it's, hmm. I mean, this will sound terribly pretentious, but I think it's kind of like a, a kind of post-colonial thing that we're sort of, um, we're um, a little bit ashamed or something about about our our traditions and so we're just mm. uh, we kind of mock them before other people can mock them on us and it's just got old hats at this stage i think now i think people are coming to it fresh i certainly am coming to it fresh and i always i always found it uh, an enthralling tradition and so that's that's what i'm i'm trying to do with uh, this fella now and other, other work that I, that i do would be in that kind of tradition but um a lot of it's been drawing on uh, Greek mythology and um, things like that. Mm. I think um, something that comes to my mind is, you know, there, I agree totally the the idea of the kind of the post-colonial attitudes towards our own culture and tradition and an almost that shaking it off during the Celtic Tiger period of as in it's a new Ireland, uh, modern Ireland. But I think like the, the millennial generation, uh, I don't know whether you're a millennial or not, but I, I think I fall somewhere within it as a millennial but I, I and and perhaps younger again, there seems to be a movement back towards that that kind of embracing of our own culture. Like I see it in Irish music. I remember when I was a kid, and like Irish music was just it wasn't something you did. And uh, my partner, she's a she's a fiddle player, and she's oh, really? a brilliant fiddle player. And she it was only for oh she's brilliant, but she she's in my but I'm biased of course. <laughs> but uh, she she she, um, she she says that only for her mother that she would have stopped playing the fiddle. And like, she loves music. Like music is her life and mm. it's, it, it helps her balance out as a person. It helps her, you know, it's one of those things that helps her cope with, you know, the, the struggle of life. And, um, and I find that like, I've kind of, I've gone back into, I found my way in through her into the, into the trad scene. Uh, I'd sing, I'd be a traditional singer and I'd sing, sing, sing in the Shano style, but in, in English, cause I'm not a Gwailgar, unfortunately. But the the, the, point, the point I'm trying to make is there's also a kind of movement now in our folklore tradition, in our culture generally, back towards this stuff. And do we associate that move, that kind of movement back towards 
do we associate that movement back towards that kind of that reinvigoration of our culture, of our traditions, and and interpreting that in a new way? Do we associate that with you know people who have a certain level of education, uh, who have maybe travelled or have uh, left Ireland? Is it part of the liberal elite? And is is that kind of those old those old attitudes towards our folklore, the fear of the puka, for example, is that something is that something that we associate with the the kind of uh, maybe the generation Z or generation Z or Y? I can't remember which generation <laughs> is, but you know, our, our, I think the kind of Celtic the people who became wealthy during the Celtic Tiger, effectively, and the people who kind of came who had to who had to shake off those shackles of the shillelagh and the leprechaun, and uh, then had to almost disown it themselves. And is is it there's is it uh, is it that there's two conflicting viewpoints and do we associate one with a particular generation in Ireland and another with the other? Does that make sense, or is is uh, do you think there's something different happening? I I I'd, yeah, I mean there's, there's definitely something to it. I mean, um, as you say, music I think is is the front runner. I mean the the way the way bands like Lunasa and Keela and um, Martin Hayes and uh, whatever. Going back to Christy Moore, the way they have kept to tradition uh, one, one foot in the past, one foot in the present. I mean, that's that's the exemplar of good art as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, it's, it hasn't really been the case in individual arts because, uh, well, for, for various reasons. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's the strange thing is that I would say there's a whole there's a whole middle, a whole uh, there's there's one whole generation that almost knows nothing about folklore and doesn't want to know anything about, and then maybe there's the old people who would have heard it growing up, and then maybe young people getting getting to to know it. But then there's a whole sort of ocean of incomprehension and uninterest, which is fine. You know, people can do what they want, but um, I think that's what a lot of the mm-hmm. the um, antagonism towards the, the Book of Venice Simon is coming from. Like people who they mightn't even they mightn't even heard of it before, you know. Um, they, and they they just they heard somebody describing it as this, um, you know, out, pagan, pagan idol or whatever, and they said. Well, I don't want that in my my place, and and they, without understanding that, yes. you know, the Pook has been around in Clare. For, for you know longer than you me yeah well it, it's interesting again but it also sheds light on uh, uh, so like I'm thinking about this one but basically I think it, it says tells us something about uh, you know obviously there's the the west of Ireland uh, the rural Ireland is still it, uh, rural Ireland is fast becoming uh, a new place uh, in the sense that um, fast becoming a new place in the sense that there's a because of i suppose covid has probably worked as a catalyst but it's brought a lot of people back to their home places yes. like for example i wouldn't be in rural ireland only for covid i'd be gone but um and i know that and i know i have a lot of connections down in clare because of there's on two sides but i see Doolin and then his time in North Clare is a hive of artistry of really interesting people. But there's also still that other side of Ireland, which is, you know, Catholic Ireland and an Ireland we have to respect. And, and I fully respect that that side of Ireland. But uh, is there an element of the, the pagan idol? I mean, is it is it a pagan idol? Is it something that people worship? It's not something people are worshipping. It's a, it's a respect and an acknowledgement of culture. So uh, it's too easy to kind of caricature something as a pagan idol because it doesn't fit within a, fit within a particular framework of thinking which 
it's probably still strongest in the kind of rural Ireland. Is that something that makes sense? I think that that's perhaps. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you don't hear you don't hear as much talk about it being bad luck or anti-Christian since the story went national. Um, the the protest has moved on to other um, other objections, but um, yeah, I think it's just a red herring. It, I I don't think it's anything to do with the um, people just getting the the wrong end of the stick. And you know, maybe it like I, I mm. there probably is there probably is. Um, uh, a sort of culture clash, and maybe that culture clash makes people suspicious. And they, um, this mm. in Clare, like pretty much everywhere else in the in um, the west of Ireland, there's uh, people coming from outside moving in and gradually changing, gradually changing the town and bringing new life and new ideas to it. And you know, some people welcome that, some people resent it, and maybe. Um, Maybe the puka was seen as a, another interloper. I hope. I hope. I hope um, enough people think that isn't the case that we can go ahead with it. But we'll see. Hmm. So, so where is it at now, Aidan? Where? What? What's the story with with the statue itself, and what needs to be done? I do. How do we? How do people support this without interfering, or without the people of Ennis time and feeling like the whole country is interfering in what is rightly their own business? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is there yeah, a way yeah. to do I mean, that? You don't to, you don't want to shove something down somebody's throat if they don't want it. And I mean the probably probably the way it is if the puka doesn't go up there, there's enough interest elsewhere that he'll he'll go up somewhere. So um it's it's not it's not the end of the world. But um if you have relatives down in Clare, they'll tell you that it, it the the protesters by no means speak speak for speak for all of Clare. I mean they speak for themselves and they're entitled to do it, but they don't speak for Ennis Diamond as a whole. So, mm-hmm. um, just I mean, people can um, tell it's it's on pause now, and and the the idea is sort of they're they're looking for um, the the Clare County Council is looking to to know what uh, people think. There's a petition in again against it, but then there's since the story went national, there's the County Council has been getting um, lots of support for the Puka that's come from. Outside, obviously, um, uh, overwhelmingly, but it's also come from Clare, thank God, and from people in Ennis Diamond. Uh, like when when the whole story broke, there was people from with uh, cafes and jewelry shops and health health food shops from Ennis Diamond, and they were saying, you know, we're happy to have it here. So it's not that that's fine, sure. I mean, like art shouldn't you, people don't need to have unanimous opinion about art, but um, it shouldn't necessarily be the case that. We, we we choose things by a kind of like a X factor show of hands. I don't think it's I don't think anyone will be, will be pleased with that um, with the products that they get because they they might they might agree that they don't like something, but it's very hard for them all to do, agree what they like. And the fact is, with art, you you often change your opinion. Uh, think you you um you, you your your first impression might not be the the one that you're left with over time, and you might come to appreciate a thing. And also, if if a thing is um, bringing lots of tourists to your town, well, you might you might see that it's uh, well, you mightn't think it's the greatest thing ever. You can see the benefit of it to your neighbours. So that there is that. Mm. I mean, the worry would be that the the objection is the objectors get the way, but I think that might be that. Like if they win, 
Ennis Diamond could lose. So it's like a, it's not helping anyone necessarily. Well, it's bound, well, it's bound, it's bound to lose now because the reality of it is, if they, like I would say this, and uh, I mean the the reality of it is, is that the whole like. Now, it's not just the statue now, but the whole for the whole storm around it. That's that's part of its story now, you know. And that's that's going to be that's something that will attract tourists in as well. They'll be like, "Where's this statue? Where's this statue that caused this this storm?" You know, it's that's part of the the, the narrative now. That's part of something <laughs> yeah, that bring yeah. people to see that statue. No, if people are surely bound to, they're bound bound to lose. No, I wouldn't say. I like. Hopefully, it'll be. Hopefully, it'll be a win-win for everybody. I mean, because I, I certainly don't take it personally. I hope other people mm. don't either. I mean, it's um, and and they're they're, they're I, I do think um, people's um, worries were genuine. So they they thought this was you know something it wasn't, and that's fair enough. Like I'm, I'm I, I've I've been at pains to try and tell people what it is about. So um, you know, they don't have to to like it, but. It, they they'll know now it's not it's not it's not sinister it's not anti-christian or anything like that um it's just a, oh. a, a sort of um piece of celtic whimsy from from my perspective but if if people want to um want to help just uh, drop a short email to clare county council that's customer service at clarecoco.ie and just tell them that next time you're in clare um you want to rub the pukas toe and, and get your three wishes or you know if you're from claire tell them tell, tell them that he, he's welcome there um that's it that's it really that would help and sure we'll see where it goes hopefully i i have one last question for you and i always i we always ask this question at the end of every every discussion we have i mean there seems to me that there's a, a you've um You've obviously have a vast amount of experience. You've you've, you've studied in Florence, and you're a, a published novelist and a, 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 an artist as well as a sculptor. Uh, but also this this story in particular. So, uh, what is there? Is there any wisdom that you would like to share with the listeners of the Hut near the Bog? And what is it? And it can be more than one bit of wisdom if you want. Well, I, I don't think I can manage two. Um, uh, I, I, well, I, I don't know if it's wisdom, but I mean, the thing I've, I, that has been borne in on me with this controversy and like, it's, it's, I mean, I've been trying to keep, keep a, keep a good attitude about it, but it's, it's not, it's not particularly pleasant. Um, but the, the thing that's kept, kept me, um, smiling is the fact that I, I know, I, I know that. It's a good sculpture, as good a sculpture as I can make. And it's the type of, the subject matter is the type of um, subject matter that I am drawn to. So if you look at my back catalogue, you'll see uh, similar creatures like the, the puka, you'll see minotaurs and whatnot. And because of that, it's not, it, it like when, sometimes with these public commissions, you're, you're, you're putting in an idea that, you know, you mightn't like as much and you're just hoping to... to um, you know, do a good job with it technically, like say a sculpture of a person or something like that. You mightn't be that interested in the person, but you say I could execute, execute a good sculpture with that. But with the puka, it's, um, it's like, it's, it's, it's the, the thing I like most that it's a type of art I like most. And I think I, I, I do the best. So, um, even though it's, it's kind of in one sense, a professional disaster that it's ran into this wall of controversy, um, it's it's also gratifying because it's it's 
it's the subject matter is something that I can stand over. And so I suppose I, I'd only say to people that mm. uh, it's kind of trite, but do what you do, what you like, not what you think is going to um, please people. Like uh, if the first, first thing you have to do is do something that you're genuinely interested. And if you do that, um, mm. the interests of other people will follow. I mean, you might divide opinion <laughs> as, as I have done here, but um, you, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll definitely get people who uh, enjoy what you're doing and see the value of it. Aidan, thanks so much for coming on the hut near the bog. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Hi, folks. We really hope you enjoyed that episode. To support the erection of the Puka in Ennis Timon, please send an email to Clare County Council at customer services at clarecoco.ie. That's customer services at clarecoco.ie. And please consider supporting us by either donating or purchasing some products from our store. Just follow the link in the description. Thank you. Bye.